come with the ACF. It's still the beginning of the semester, so if you're new here, we're really glad you're with us. If you're old here, we're really glad you're with us. It's better than the option of not being with us any longer. Um, yeah, we're, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, before we jump into Bible study, I have one thing. And that one thing is, I really, really uh, want you to consider being a part of one of our mission teams. I said something at the end of the last, um, uh, last week at Bible study because I forgot to say it when I was supposed to say it, and now I'm saying it when I want to say it. But uh, we've, we've got at least two teams that we're putting together for spring break mission trip. One team is going uh, the 18th, I mean the 13th, the 12th through the 18th, maybe the 19th to Mexico to build a house for a family. And that team's slowly growing. I think we're up to nine, maybe ten. The odd thing about that team is it's not—it's eight guys and one girl. Great odds if you're a girl. So that group, that group goes and builds a house right across the border in Acuna, Mexico. Uh, it's a great trip. We go by uh, New Orleans and we go by Houston. Actually, we go through New Orleans and Houston, but no, we go by, anyway, we did, but then we go to the Alamo, and then you drive past a wild game ranch, and you're at the end of the road in Del Rio, Texas. You go across the border. We spent three, we spent three and a half days in Mexico building a house for a family that lives in poverty, and then we drive back. It's a really great trip. The second trip is a group of people going to Atlanta to, uh, yeah, they go, they leave on Sunday, they get back on Thursday. Um, it's working with an organization called City of Refuge. City of Refuge is a, is a ministry complex in the, supposedly the worst zip code in all of Georgia, one of the worst in, in the United States for things like drug abuse, uh, vacant housing, Broken families, um, homelessness, all that. City of Refuge is right down in the middle of them, and and they are a um, they are a community that cares for uh, people who are in distress. So it's not just homeless, but it's women who are leaving the sex trade. It's families, uh, single parent families that are in distress financially. Uh, moms and, and kids who've been kicked out by their husbands or boyfriends, all those kind of things. I think there's about 300 residents that stay at City of Refuge. They do child care. They do uh, medicine. They do job training. Uh, they do um, school. Um, they feed people. It's, it's, really, it's really an amazing ministry. So... So if you're interested in one of those two at, at spring break, uh, you only have until the end of January to be a part of one of those teams. So see me or Nicole. We've got information in the back. A possibility, if anyone is interested still, there's some folks that want to go to Germany. I'm not going to say who. But one of them's initials is Sarah Hollis. 
So, so and that would be that would be leaving uh, May eighth or ninth and going and work with the campus ministry in Tübingen, Germany, for about seven days, and and then do some things in Germany, some sightseeing kind of stuff, and then come home just before summer semester starts. So, so if you're interested in any of those. Uh, now's the time to ask questions and say, yeah, I'm, I want to go, or let me talk to my parents, or whatever I got to do, all that kind of stuff, okay? Is that cool? Say, si. Si, senor. That is cool. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Caroline is one of the sweetest people in the entire world, and she has a whole couch to herself. <laughs> Okay. All right, so tonight, uh, this semester we're talking about Jesus' call to come follow me. It's a call that goes out, goes out in the Gospels uh, to everybody, and through, through the apostles, I believe, through the early church, it comes all the way down through the centuries to us. So we're talking about what, what it means. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And then, um, so last week... Um, what did we talk about last week? Come follow me. Matthew, that's right. And this, this is another story from early in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus, and I'll just read it for us. I think it should be on the screen. Maybe, maybe not. So, Gospel of Luke, chapel, chapter 5. On one occasion, while uh, the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, uh, who later becomes Peter, he asked them to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the fish were breaking, and the nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats, both boats. I'm from Ohio. I have a tendency to say both, which has been pointed out to me numerous occasions. Uh, he signaled to their partners in the other boat, and uh, to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So, um, talking about mission trips, we, we started doing mission trips. So, Laura and I came here in 1993. And uh, almost from the beginning, I think the first two years we didn't do a mission trip. But but th from the third year on, we've, we've done mission trips as as a ministry, and we really promoted people taking time, either a spring break or a summer 
for a semester uh, to, to get out, to go, uh, to serve in some capacity, in some fashion, uh, wherever it is that, we, that you might have a sense that God was leading you to go. And we've had, we've literally, over the, over the years we've been here, we've had people go all around the world. Right now, lots of you know Maggie. Maggie's one of those people who decided to go, even though she was, I mean, she was almost done with school. And, um, and, and so she decided to go. She worked it out so her, so the internship she had to do for whatever her degree is could be fulfilled while she was doing what she's doing. So she's in Thailand this semester. Uh, Lauren Van Kyle, um, I'm learning to say her name as well. Uh, Lauren Van Kyle, um, <laughs> that's my pre-puberty voice. Lauren Van Tile. <laughs> Lauren Van Tile just got back from a semester abroad in Spain, working with a campus ministry in Spain. Uh, yeah, so we've had people go all over, um, and uh, and and we right now we've got we've got former ACF people who are serving all over the world. So that's really cool. Uh, but when we started this thing, uh, somewhere somewhere along the line, um, we started working with Global Scope and people go in different places. And one of the first groups that went to Global Scope, there was a girl that really wanted to go. Her name was Liz. And so someone was here, I forget who was here, talking about Global Scope and explaining what it was and all that kind of stuff. And Liz just caught fire, and she wanted to go to Pueblo, Mexico, which was one of the first ministries that we started in Global Scope. And so um, she was just sure that this is what God wanted, do, wanted her to do. Now, she was in um, aerospace. And um, and so you know it's I th- I think aer- aerospace is pretty pretty rigid in the way classes are laid out and all that kind of stuff. So if I've got it correct. Uh, so anyways, but she was just sure that she wanted to go, and it was it, at the time it was about six thousand dollars to do a semester abroad. She was going to go for a semester. And so she got really excited, and we spent a lot of time talking about it. And the one thing she hadn't done was talk to her parents, so she went home and talked to her parents over thanks uh, over um, over a break somewhere. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was just a weekend. But I, I remember she came back, and, and uh, she was just brokenhearted because she uh, excitedly told her, her mom and her dad what she wanted to do, and they just immediately said, there's absolutely no way you're going to Mexico, Right? There's absolutely no way you're going to Mexico. It's violent. It's a, you know, a terrible place, blah, blah, blah. You know, the list, when you talk about Mexico, the list of why you shouldn't go to Mexico is about a mile long or something. And, um, um, which, yeah, we can go, that's a whole other thing. So, um, so she was, she was just brokenhearted. And, and in fact, her mom didn't say, just say, no, you're not going. But her mom said, there's absolutely no way you're going. Uh, we are not going to let you go, and in fact, uh, I don't know how you're going to get the $6,000 because I'm going to tell everybody in our family not to support you if you ask them to support you, right? I mean, it was like, it was not just like, you know, sticking the knife in. It was like taking an axe and jabbing it in and turning it around (laughs) kind of stuff, you know, and it just, it really just ripped Liz's guts out. And um, not not literally. I'm telling the story. 
This is my story. It's not your story. She was devastated. That's the point. So, um, so anyways, um, so it came time. That, that was like, that was probably the middle of October. The deadline to, to sign up or the deadline to get things really rolling was right then. But it was, she was wanting to go the next semester, so it was the spring semester. And, um, and so we talked a lot, and I said, well, you really have a couple choices. You know, one, uh, you're, you're 21 years old. Um, you can say, um, I, I don't care what my parents say. This is what I think God wants me to do, and I'm going to go do this, right? Um, and, but, but if you're going to do that, I said, you, gotta, you really got to count the cost, right? Because it may, it may bring real hardship to the relationship between you and your parents. I said, um, but, but I said, and I said, the, on the other side, you could do what the scripture says. You do what Jesus says and honor your mother and father um, and and pray about this and see what happens. If, 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 if you are patient and, um, and honor your parents in this and pray, you can't go wrong, right? Because it's clear in Scripture that's one of the things that God calls us to do. And we can have lots of discussions about what it means to honor your parents. I, I understand that. But I say you, you can't go wrong with that. And and in that process, trust that God is going to change your parents' attitudes about your children. And, I, you know, Liz was one of these really uh, passionate, strong-willed, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do kind of people. And so I really expected her to take that back. And just say the heck with you guys. I'm going to Mexico. But um, but for some reason she didn't. And so um, so she she uh, spent the next couple of weeks praying. She she sent out some letters to people. You know, please. This is what it, what my plan is. You know, would you please consider supporting me? And um, and she just kept talking to her parents and and saying, okay, if you don't want me to go, I. Totally understand, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, long story short, it's Thanksgiving. It's literally Thanksgiving morning, right? Um, the turkey's in the oven. We're watching the Macy's Day Parade. Uh, my gut's hanging out. i uh, got slippers on. My hair's like this. I just woke up like 30 minutes ago. My phone starts ringing, and it's Liz. And what, what's her phone? My phone starts ringing, and it's Liz. And so I pick it up, and um, she she's just like like uh, crazy, you know. Uh, you're just you're just never gonna believe this. You're never gonna believe what happened, Liz. Liz, just tell me what tell me what happened. She said I, we got up this morning, and I came downstairs, and my mom said, you know what? I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think it's really a good thing for you to go to Mexico. And and your dad and I have decided that if this we so believe this is a great thing for you that we're going to buy your airplane ticket and we're going to give you blah, blah, blah money and we're going to try and get our family blah, blah, blah. Total reversal. Totally reversed from what had happened uh, before, what she expected. 
and um, and it, it it was it was totally amazing. You know, she. I remember thinking when we were when I was done with that conversation. This is one of those things that she could have said. I know this is what God wants me to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and I don't care what you say, and I'm going to go. Blah 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 blah. And and what she did, and and it would have been it would have been terrible. It would have destroyed her relationship with her family. It would have, it would have caused all kinds of problems. It could have ended up in great chaos, right? None of which really is, if you if you understand the scriptures at all, none of it really is from God. But what she did do was was pray and and choose to do what she knew. Uh, would be honoring to God and her parents. And in the end, she gave room God to do something so amazing that it just flipped her out. And she ended up in Mexico for a year. And that, that literally changed her life um, in, in, in more ways than, than we really have time uh, to talk about. And so, so I tell you that story not because I'm giving you, and, and in, I don't want you to hear that, you know, okay, so what we need to do is is pray and wait, and then God will do something, which which on one hand really isn't a bad formula, right? But um, it's not about it's not about getting God to do what we want God to do, right? So if we wait and pray, then we're going to get all all the things we ever wanted, kind of stuff. That's that is not the point of it. But the real point of it is that. Um, that all of us have a choice to make, particularly those of us who, who say we're followers of Jesus, right? All of us, in, in big ways and small ways, almost every day, have a choice to make when, when we come face-to-face with what we know, whether internally or, or externally through reading the scriptures or, uh, or a sense of God, whatever we are sensing, all of us have a choice to make that's really the crux of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Do I, when Jesus says something, he says, go or come, or I want you to forgive, or I want you to let go of things, or I want you to stop this, or whatever, however that happens, whenever we know that, do we trust him, believe him? And, and out of trust that he's good and that he's loving and that he's for us and that he wants the best for us and that his plans for us are great, all those kind of things, do we trust him enough to do what he's calling us to do? Or, or do we fall back into, well, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know, this, this doesn't, I can't see how it's going to work or, you know, fall back into, a, into the way everybody else thinks things should go or the way that the world thinks things works or whatever it is that, that leads us away from doing what God wants us to do. That's why I think the story with, with Peter is so in, in, interesting uh, and so instructive for us because Peter uh, – Jesus is, is, has been teaching and is, and is famous spreading, and he's starting to have large crowds of people around him wherever he goes. It's, it's really like a first century rock star kind of thing, right? Paparazzi almost did. 
And, and in fact, on this one occasion, there's so many people that it almost drives him into the water. And so he sees two boats, and he, he gets in one of them and asks them just to put out a little way, and he sits down, and he teaches this large crowd of people, right? Jesus does. And uh, when he's done, he turns to the owner of the boat, Peter, and his compatriots, and says, okay, uh, why don't you put out into deep water and throw your nets out and, and uh, for a great catch of fish, for a great catch. To which, which Peter says, we, Lord, uh, we, we've worked all night, which is another way of saying what? Huh? Which is another way of saying it's not going to work, right? What, what do Peter and, and James and John and Andrew do for a living? They're fishermen. In fact, in fact, in these verses, it, it, there's some indication that, that maybe Peter and James and John, at least, have a little bit of a business fishing. They're, they are professional fishermen. They're like, they're like the original Bassmasters, right? Or who's that guy that's on TV on Saturday that goes everywhere all, you know? Yeah, the, this guy, these guys have grown up fishing. They've grown up fishing. They've grown up at the seashore. They, they know. They know when it's a good time to fish and when it's not a good time to fish. They know um, where to find the fish. These guys, their livelihood, and, and they all had families, which is something we don't ever think about. They all had families that uh, relied on them catching fish. These guys, these guys knew fishing better than anybody, right? And so Jesus says, okay, I'm done, why don't you put out and, and we'll catch a bunch of fish. And they say, uh, we fished all night. Right? We fished all night. When the thing starts, it says they're cleaning their nets. They're putting their gear up. They, they've been out all night when you're supposed to fish, when they know, you know, they know the moon and the tides and all that kind of stuff. And they know when, and, and they hadn't caught anything. So it, it's kind of like saying, Jesus, I hear you on this but you really don't know what you're talking about, you know? You're wise in a lot of ways. You're powerful, I guess, in a lot of stuff. But you don't know fishing. We know fishing. It's time for us just to go home. Let's come back tomorrow, and it's a better day to fish. been there, haven't you? Especially those of you that are Christians. Another mission story, the very first time we went on a mission trip, uh, we were going to Mexico, we were going to Juarez to build a home for a family in Juarez, and um, I think we've built like 15 homes now for people living on the borders of Mexico. Anyway, um, so it was our first trip, and uh, there was a guy, he was a sophomore, um, he was he was a he was a Christian, but but for him it had always been you know yeah I go to church kind of stuff. His name was Jason. And so after Bible study, we talked about the mission trip and about anyone interested. He came up and said, you know, I just feel in my heart this is something I really need to do. Something I, I think I'd really like to do, but um, but you just don't understand. I I really don't know anybody that I know that I could ask to support me. 
And, you know, the idea of asking people to support me, just, I just, I just don't think I can do it. And, you know, my mom's not going to have enough money for me to go. He's from a single-parent family. And, um, I, but I really want to do this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, his list of reasons were, you know, why he couldn't do this. And, and all I really need to say to him was, Jason, um, I personally believe that um, if, you're, if, if you have this floating around in your mind and heart that there's a good chance that's from the Lord, and if it's from the Lord, then, then I think, as a follower of Jesus, you really got to give it some serious consideration. So, so how about we do this? How about we just take a couple days, you, you and I will pray about it, um, and, um, and then uh, at the end of the week, you'll write 27 letters to people. And just ask them, tell them what you want to do, and just ask them if they would be willing to support you. And he said, well, okay, but, you know, I, I, I don't know if I got 27 people. And, um, but he did it. He, he, he did it. He talked to, he talked to his mom and, and uh, he prayed about it for the week, and he wrote the letters, and, um, and it was amazing. It was totally amazing because by, by the time we got ready to go, he had n- not only enough for himself, but he was able to make it so somebody else could go. He had double what, what he needed. And, and again, it's not about getting from God. It, it's, just, it's just the idea that when God lays something on you um, and, and you have a sense that he's calling you in some direction, then what do you do with that? And he stepped into that, right? Despite all the, all the reasons that, that uh, he shouldn't do this or couldn't do this or it wouldn't work or whatever, he said, okay. And, um, and it ended up changing his life, literally changed his life. Mission trips, I'm a big proponent, mission trips have the opportunity to change your life in small ways but in really big ways too. And for Jason, it changed his life. For the first time, I think, he really saw God do something. For the first time, for him, he experienced that God really did care about him, that God really was listening to him, that God was really present in his life, and it and for him, it literally changed the arc of his life. He got done. He was interior design, I think. He got done here and went to seminary. You know, changed everything for him because he said yes to Jesus, to the call he sensed to go, to do, to give himself. I mean, let's be serious, right? Jesus asked some hard things of people. If, if you really start following Jesus, you know, in the beginning, it's probably going to be great. But somewhere along the line, you're going to run smack into one of those things that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right? And the minute you run into that, you're going to think of somebody's face who's your enemy. Maybe not an enemy that they're out to kill you, in a sense they're out to kill you, but somebody that's done something that you are sure either hates you or you hate them. And those words, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, are going to hit you like a ton of bricks. And, and 
it doesn't take a great imagination to come up with all kinds of reasons why I just can't. You don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know the stuff that I've gone through. You don't know this. You don't know that, right? A, a, a laundry list of reasons why. Forgiveness. The scripture, Jesus says, forgive as God in Christ, has forgiven you, right? And if you can't forgive, in fact, Jesus says, you probably won't be forgiven. But you start talking about forgiving people, and yeah, it's easy to forgive this person or that person, but there's always somebody, right? That's just like, whoa. Or, or love your neighbor. Or um, don't worry about tomorrow. Or um, don't chase after uh, treasures that rust and moth will destroy. Right? When you, when you start hitting those kind of things, then it's like, uh, I, I don't, it would be foolish to do that. I'd be stupid if I did that. I don't see how that'll work or amount to anything or blah, blah, blah. Or blah. It's not hard to come up with a lot of reasons not to do the things that Jesus calls us to do. Or lots of reasons why we want to do the things that we know aren't good for us. That he tells us straight up aren't good for us. And that's what's so telling about this story with Peter. Because Peter, is in that, in that one moment, he's faced with this crux, this, this core of things. Do I... Do I trust and obey? Do I do what Jesus is telling me to do? Or do I rely on my own understanding of things? Do I rely on my upbringing? Do I rely on the voices of my ancestors who tell me that this is how things work? Do I rely on my accumulated experience with fishing? Do I fall back in the, in the excuse category and say, well, that would be stupid to throw my nets out at this time of day in this place? be a waste of time, right? And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of all the reasons that he, come, he, could, he could come up with, what does he say? Yes, because you say so, I'll cast my net. So he put out, and he throws the nets over the side, and, and in that moment, his life completely changes. Because not only does he catch more fish than he has ever caught before at one time. I mean, that's a gold mine for a fisherman, right? Two small boats. So full it's almost sinking. Not only is, does he, he catch more fish, but, but he's awed by Jesus. And... and and in that moment, because he obeyed, he saw who Jesus really was. He saw how powerful he really was. He saw that Jesus knew who he really was. After, after he obeyed, then his eyes were opened, his horizons were blown completely apart, and his life was never the same. The arc of his destiny completely changed just like that. 
Think about that. I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you follow swimming at all. <laughs> I don't know why you would, but, but uh, swimming is one of those things in the Olympics you always watch, right? And in the early in the early two thousands, um, there was an Australian swimmer called Ian Thorpe. Well, he's not called Ian Thorpe. That was his name. But he was called the the Golden Torpedo, which is really kind of creepy. But um, he's called the Golden Torpedo because because for a number of years nobody beat him. I mean, he he was fast. Um, he, he was just the best swimmer. He, I I think he won thirteen Olympic medals during his his years. In one Olympics, he he won. Uh, he was he was uh, who's the great swimmer now? It was Michael Phelps before Michael Phelps, yeah, and um, and so I mean he won world champions. I mean he's just he's just amazing, uh, an amazing swimmer, and uh, and he dominated the sport for for eight years, ten years almost. I think the last Olympics he swam in was two thousand eight, but somewhere somewhere in the middle of the early two thousands he had gotten hurt and he was rehabbing. And he spent some time in Los Angeles, um, and and that time in Los Angeles that he spent kind of rehabbing to get back in shape um, ended up ending his career as a swimmer. And so someone did a um, an Australian newspaper, I guess, did a, a interview with him, and um, when he retired, and and. Uh, the story went something like this. It says, Thorpe, who became a sporting icon with a tally of nine Olympic medals and 13 world championships, said he realized suddenly that there was more to life than just swimming. After facing injury and illness and questions about his motivation ahead of the Olympics in 2008, Thorpe uh, said a training stint in Los Angeles uh, had really focused his mind on his future as a man rather than as a swimmer. And he said, as I, as I, I got physically, uh, as, I, as I got fit physically, my mind also got fit. And I started asking a lot of questions. I started looking at myself not only as a swimmer, but in a bigger picture way as a person. Another way to look at it, he said, is that you can swim lap after lap staring at a black line. And all of a sudden, something happens, and you lift your head out of the pool and see what's around you. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to me. I, I thought of that story uh, this week because, um, because I think so many of us are stuck. Particularly those, lots of us who are Christians, I think we're stuck. Because we, we know the things that Jesus wants us to do. We've learned them our entire lives. We've heard them in sermons. We've gone to Sunday school. We've gone to youth group. We know the things that Jesus is calling us to. We know the hard things that he's calling us to. But we're stuck. We're stuck because we can't see that, uh, how, if we go down this road, uh, if we go down that road with with Jesus, how that's going to work? We we're, we're stuck because 
We've been told that this is the way the world works. And if you want to be anything, and if you want to do anything, then you've got to play the game this way. These are the rules. Here's the black line. Stay within the line. Keep your eyes on that, those things. Don't look up. Right? We, we, we've been told to, to keep going, to keep going along the way that we've been going and doing the things the way that we're doing. And if we just keep working hard enough, then our lives will get fixed or we're going to be better or blah, 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 or blah, 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 whatever it is. And so we just keep going. We just keep looking at the line. And things don't work out and we get in trouble and we have hardship and we just keep looking at the line. Just keep, 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 keep. And, and, and we, don't, we don't listen and start thinking, well, maybe there's a better way to do things. Maybe there's a better life. Maybe there's a bigger, more full way to live. Maybe we've been created for something more than just swimming lap after lap, staring at a black line on the bottom of the pool. Maybe there are so much bigger things that God has in store for us. That's Peter. I know what will happen. I know the outcome. I know it won't work. I know you can't do things that way. That's not the way you catch fish. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but let's be honest. This is out of your league. You don't understand. You don't understand, my friends. You don't understand my parents. You don't understand blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along one day and says, things really can be different. And life can be so much more now and in the future. If you'll just trust me and follow me and do what I ask you to do, be with me where I'm at. See me. Experience me. Go where I go. The story of Scripture is that Jesus is the miracle worker. The story of Scripture is that that we we can lay down our lives and take up His life and follow Him wherever He wants us to go. It's His job, if I understand things right, to come through, to do immeasurably more than all we can hope or imagine. And the question all of us have to answer is, do we trust Him? Do we trust Him to do what He says He'll do? Do we trust Him to be where He says He'll be? Do we trust Him to come through like He says He'll come through? That's where life becomes a great adventure. When we say, okay, I do. That's when we quit looking at the black line and look up and see something so much more. And that's my prayer for all of us. When is the last time, those of you who are Christians, when is the last time? This is a question for you to think about. When's the last time? You said, okay, Lord, 
I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. You just got to lead me. been a while, I want to challenge you to be a Christian. I want to challenge you to be a And if you're someone in here who's like, well, you know, whatever, I, I just want to challenge you to, to give it a shot. Right? To give him a shot, not give it a shot. Give him a shot. Ask him. Think about that. Pray with me.